Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Today on the Everything 80s podcast, how did the Top Gun VHS change home video forever? Hey there, what's happening? Welcome back to the Everything 80s Podcast. I'm Jamie. Thanks for coming on out and looking at a very interesting topic. And it's partly about the advent of home video and how that changed consumerism and how we consume content and get our entertainment and being able to, you know, take the experience from the movies home before like, you know, if you grew up in the 60s and 70s and you know you'd go to see a movie that was it it was a one-shot deal now you could own that movie and watch it 300 times and that helped lead more into true fandoms and true you know appreciation of certain movies because you were really able to pour through it more and same thing with like anything you saw on tv and and movies you're now able to record that and watch it and and go over it again it wasn't a one-shot deal And when it came to home video, it's specifically the release of the Top Gun VHS that really changed the landscape of how this whole industry worked and functioned and how it became more accessible to more people. So there's a lot of interesting stuff in this. So we'll get to in a sec. And here's the usual, if you haven't already, subscribe, if you want, to uh, the podcast, wherever you find your podcast, I should be there. Okay, let's do this. If you are a younger person and like, I don't know, under 30, definitely under 25, you have no concept of what renting a physical movie is like. You might not even really know of DVD specifically and obviously just stream everything, which is awesome. But at one time, the home video market was the biggest thing going. And this might not have happened without a certain Tom Cruise movie. You don't understand the social aspect of a blockbuster video on a Friday night. This was like the mecca and the gathering of the city or any sort of video store on Friday night as people were getting the movies they would watch. This was the place to uh, see and be seen. So as the quick summary, the Top Gun VHS was released in 1986 and again would change the home video market forever by lowering the cost of a home movie, which were previously very expensive. They would introduce theirs at a much cheaper cost and they would use ads to offset these costs. And this set a new standard that is still used today. Again, if a very popular movie had come out in theaters, you had to wait a an excruciating long amount of time until it was released on home video. Now the landscape is really changing with obviously with Netflix and now with like Disney Plus and movies are starting to come out on streaming services as they are coming out in theaters, which is kind of mind blowing that this is even taking place. And it was kind of a pipe dream to think, wow, I wouldn't actually have to go to the movie. This thing is going to come out. I don't have to wait seven months until it's on video. Things are coming out a lot quicker now. And and potentially it can help the studios and the movies because if you stream something 
online and you're like, wow, that was awesome. I want to see this thing like in IMAX and on the big screen. But the truth is, you know, a lot of people's home setups are as good as a lot of movie theaters. You have a good surround sound system and a large screen. And like my setup is pretty decent and it's comfortable and I can pause and go to the bathroom and get whatever snacks I want. So, I mean, the appeal of staying at home to watch a movie is pretty good instead of having to fight parking and paying thirty-two fifty for popcorn and a drink. But back in the 80s, home video as we know it almost didn't end up kind of becoming what it was. And again, it was this Top Gun VHS that led to the home video explosion into the 80s. So it starts with the creation of the VCR. And like I touched on at the start, that Without the VCR, you weren't able to bring these movies home or record things off TV. I have a whole episode about the advent of the VCR and the the battle between VHS and beta and how VHS ultimately won out. It's very interesting. But the quick rundown is the creation of the VCR itself goes back to the late 50s. But it would be years before it would be even presented or affordable for the consumer market. Sony got the ball rolling in 1971 with a machine they would call the Sony U-Matic. Philips would also release a video player that would be available for the consumer market around the same time. The difference is they would give it a name. They called it Video Cassette Recording or the VCR. Sony would create the Betamax in 1975 and Philips would create the Video Home System or VHS in 1977. This format war would lead into the 80s, but the main thing was the VCR was now becoming a mainstay in people's homes. By 1985, 30% of households would own one. Again, check, listen to that whole episode about the format wars and um, you know how VHS would win because it made their tapes uh, more affordable and also there was more recording capacity time, and that's what people wanted. So everyone is using a VCR to record their favorite shows of Dallas at the time, but the home video market was not really a thing yet. So the VCR is changing the way we consume content. And again, if you're waiting for a new movie, it would be, say for on TV, it could be years until that movie would be shown on TV. Studios were releasing movies for home video in the late 70s, but not only did they cost a fortune, the players needed to play them cost more than most people's cars. So the original VCRs sold for around $1,200, which converted for today is around $5,500. So not a lot of people had these things. So this is the late 70s. And even by the mid 80s, movies were still out of reach for most people. I don't remember this as much and probably explains why we didn't really have any. But the top movies in 1985 and 86 when they were being sold in stores, went for $80. Converted for today, that's $180 per video. And that's probably why you didn't own any direct release movies in 1985 or 86. That's insane. The other big thing is the studios didn't seem to have any interest in releasing movies on home video before this time. A big moneymaker for them was the re-release, which had them put the movies back into theaters after a short break from its original run. This was huge because there weren't a lot of entertainment options and more people were willing to check out something that was a huge hit. Or if it was not a hit, they could re-kind of package it and re-present it in a different manner. You notice with 
It's a little different now because movie trailers are a, a little more specific and direct. But if they're not sure with a certain movie what the audience will be, they'll cut various trailers that'll give it the impression of being a different type of movie. They could make it look a little more actiony, or they could make it a little more, little more rom commy, or a little more comedic, and then they can kind of tap into different audiences. So back then. When, you know, a movie did well, that it was easy to repackage and put it out again, or they could, you know, sort of reformat in the way they promoted it. Jaws is a good example of this because the hype had grown over time and people who missed it the first time around jumped all over it in the re-release. Disney is also notable for doing this by putting out their classics at various times. The thought was the studios were going to lose a lot of money because of home video and they set the prices super high at 80 bucks a piece to make up for what they wouldn't get from the theatrical re-release. So it does make sense, but it really stifled the home video market going into the 80s. Some videos would be priced higher, and again, the average is was around 80. I mean, they were higher too, up to $100. I mean, that's getting close in conversion rates to $200 um, per video. So now this gets into the idea of home rental like this is we're talking movies to release to buy so again remember video rental hadn't been a thing yet and the only way you could see the movie at home was having to buy it for that ridiculous price the studios were using this to make up for all those lost ticket prices but home video would really stick it to them now video rental first it seemed was something they actually the studio saw it as illegal there weren't the big chains like Blockbuster right off the bat. So it was smaller, little independent video stores that would start doing rental. The studios went nuts and they were saying this was a copyright violation of some sort because it was considered a public screening and that was illegal. The video stores combated this by creating rental clubs. I don't know if you're old enough to remember this. I vaguely remember rental clubs and they treated these rental clubs similar to a country club. This is... <laughs> Again, I don't know how old you are, but you might remember having to pay annual dues for a uh, video rental membership. This was a real thing, and it seems crazy, but this was their way to work around the problem. These fees weren't always cheap, but they were also there to offset the cost of buying these horrifically priced videos. So you walk into the video store, they're having to buy these things for $80, $100 a pop. So the prices had to be high, the, the membership prices just to be able to stock these things and be able to rent them at a reasonable price. But again, these membership fees were the way to make um, these video stores feel like a country club aspect and a rental club. And that sort of circumvented around the laws against copyright and all that stuff. So then a movie in 1986 turned everything on its head. Top Gun comes out in 86. It's the story, of course, of elite fighter pilots at a weapons school where they compete to be the best. They play a lot of shirtless volleyball. And one of the students learns something from a civilian instructor that's not taught in the classroom. Top Gun was a huge hit, also with an iconic soundtrack, including Danger Zone by Kenny Loggins. You've got the Love and Feeling. Um, you, sorry, you've lost that Love and Feeling by the Righteous Brothers. Take My Breath Away by Berlin. The pretty pretty epic um, soundtrack with a lot of deep electric guitar solos. The thing, Top Gun actually had mixed reviews from critics, but audiences ate it up with a spoon. They loved Tom Cruise. And a few weeks after it opened, the number of theaters showing it increased by 45%. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. 
Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. The movie was made for a very low $15 million, which in the 80s still seems very low. It made back $356 million, which converted for today is over $800 million. So it was a monster hit. And again, movies were showing on a lot less screens back then. I mean, the average, you know, a Marvel release can be in 3,500 plus screens where some movies in the 80s were only, I don't know, maybe 15, 1,800. Top Gun starred, of course, Tom Cruise, Val Kilmer, Tom Skerritt, and was based on an article called Top Guns from an issue of California Magazine in 1983. The Navy made some actual F-14 fighters available for filming at the low cost of $7,800 per hour. It's about $18,000 an hour converted for today. Just some more on the movie. They also got to use the USS Enterprise aircraft uh, aircraft carrier for some shots. And during one day of shooting, the commander of the ship changed the course it was sailing, which completely changed the lighting, making film, filming almost impossible. They could get it back on course to get into the good lighting, but it cost $25,000 to turn the ship. So then director Tony Scott had to write a check on the spot to turn the ship to the better lighting to shoot just for five minutes. If you want to listen to some more about the greatest toy ever made, and that's the G.I. Joe USS flag, you can go back and listen to that episode. Just speaking of aircraft carriers, here's a few other fun facts about uh, Top Gun. It is one of the best selling soundtracks of all time, going nine times platinum. Brian Adams would have recorded the songs for the movie, but he felt the film glorified war and didn't want anything to do with it, as the staunch Canadian he is. Toto, the band Toto, was originally going to record Danger Zone, which would have been awesome. Top Gun was actually nominated for four Oscars. And then interestingly, after Top Gun, naval recruiting went up 500%. There's also supposed to be the sequel. Um, It looks like it is coming out in 2020 as a, a trailer was leaked for that. So basically, Top Gun was the biggest movie of 1986. And then came the home video release. And this is where the story picks back up. So I mentioned, you know, movies are selling for 80 to 100 bucks a copy, but there was the odd time they would be a bit cheaper. The sometimes like with the Indiana Jones movies and um, Beverly Hills Cop was notable, they would sometimes sell them for around 40 bucks. Sounds cheaper, but remember, that's the equivalent of around $92 today. Paramount turned everything on its head by selling Top Gun on VHS for 26 95. This was the lowest that any feature film had ever been sold for by far. This wasn't a mistake or anything or, or poor planning. This was deliberately intended. If you own Top Gun on VHS, you remember that the tape was front loaded with a Diet Pepsi commercial. This was Paramount's way of being able to not take a big hit on missed re- revenue from a re release, but making it more affordable. Um, for people who clearly love the movie. This had never been done before, and one of the appeals of home video was that you didn't have to watch commercials like you did on TV. So this was the trade-off with the consumer. You get a cheaper movie, but you have to sit through a commercial or at least fast-forward through it. 
Paramount was marketing this thing hard um, on an $8 million campaign, and the deal with Pepsi would help to alleviate some costs um, and the hit that studios usually took from putting out a home video, and it worked. The advanced demand was so high that the pre-sales made it the highest-selling video cassette in the history of the whole industry. And this was before it was even available in stores. I mean, people really loved the Ray-Bans and a shirtless Val Kilmer. So now they're capitalizing on the success. The whole campaign was obviously a huge hit and made everyone involved in movies raise their eyebrows with this whole home video thing. This also worked well for Pepsi, and then they ended up approaching Steven Spielberg. E.T. was still the highest grossing movie of all time, even though it came out in 1982. It actually stayed number one for 11 years until it was dethroned by another Spielberg movie, Jurassic Park. Anywho, it had never come out on VHS because they wanted to just keep putting it out in theaters every couple years, basically from now until eternity. Pepsi made them an offer they could not refuse, though, to put E.T. out on home video with their commercials in it, of course. They threw a lot of money at Spielberg and pushed it for a $24.95 price point, and it included a $5 rebate from Pepsi that essentially brought the movie down to $19.99, or roughly what we pay for videos today if you're buying them in the store, depending, you know, not including like 4Ks and things like that. The other big thing is that Pepsi <laughs> now owns Spielberg pretty much and E.T.'s soul, and they could start using him in commercials. E.T., not Spielberg. So at this point, Coca-Cola's lizard brain fires up and they want a slice of that sweet, sweet pie too. They would get on board with movies like Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade and Batman by sponsoring the video with Diet Coke commercials to make it more affordable. Again, you just had to sit through the commercials. Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles would follow the same formula by partnering with the very on brand Pizza Hut to offset the cost of their video release. I owned all these movies but don't remember the commercials specifically, but I very well remember the Diet Coke one in Batman when I think Alfred's bringing Michael Keaton um, his, his Diet Coke. I remember that very well. So rental prices would vary over the coming years with new releases always being higher, but this would end up replacing the money the studios would make on re-releasing the movies in theaters. But when it comes to like the actual rental, like if unless you want to wait for the movie to come out on Netflix, if you want to stream it on demand and rent a movie that way, even a, a physical video rental or, or however you get it, the, 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 the cost can vary quite a bit. But the price to buy a movie is still around that 20 to $25 mark, at, which was set all the way back in 1987 and continues to this day. So as we wind down here, that's just, you know, a look at this whole video market evolving. And as usual, marketing and corporate interest paved the way for how an industry would act and the rules they would follow. These days, if you want to watch a physical movie still, you are stuck sitting through previews for other releases by the studio along with some ads. Honestly, like if you still watch Blu-ray, I, I still own Blu-ray and I, I haven't upgraded to 4K yet which I know I will, but it's kind of surprising because they thought Blu-ray would be the last physical format released as, as streaming would take over and as even 4K streaming has become more prevalent. And the fact that 4K physical movies were released is, is, and players is kind of astounding. And I don't know if that will be the last format, you know, if they'll keep going, if, like there's 8K displays. And 
I don't think that will happen. But as, as much as I do love streaming, I do own Blu-ray and I do own physical Blu-ray movies because I still think it is the best form of movie you can watch as far as the data that's encoded as far as the soundtrack and the picture quality. I think it's always the best. But you know, again, with DVDs or Blu-rays, if you want to sit down and just start a movie, it's impossible. They have kind of hard-coded in those commercials and previews where you have to you know, either physically skip or you can't even skip, which is absurd that you have to sit through it. So if you put in a movie, it can take five to 10 minutes before you're actually watching the movie when you've also factor in load up times plus all that stuff you have to sit through. This is, I mean, now it's one of the big, obviously, appeals of streaming is is not just the convenience and having, having everything on demand and a touch, but you can jump right into it. I mean, Amazon Prime always has a preview before, but you can skip that immediately. Um, it's different because it's not an advertising service like, say, YouTube would be where there's commercials in unless you're using the ad blockers. Netflix swears that they will never do any form of advertising. But personally, like, I I don't know if, if, if you could only pay a dollar or two to have Netflix, but you had some commercial to sit through if you would do that. I, I think I might because we're kind of used to that already as far as, say, with like, YouTube content and whatever. But like with the case of Amazon Prime, you can always immediately skip and they're not commercials. They're just trailers for their other shows. This Speaking of the whole lock-in um, kind of hard-coded advertisements and, and previews on, on physical formats, if I have an episode about Laserdisc if you want to go back to listen to. And that's a very interesting story too about how it was a far superior technology, way ahead of its time can, compared to beta and VHS. They always talk about beta being a superior version of VHS. They weren't actually that much different when you look at the technical details. Beta was like a little bit different, but actually not that much more. Laserdisc, however, was phenomenally better. The problem is, again, it was super expensive. Um, the discs were expensive. The players were very faulty. There wasn't a standard, actually, as far as the manufacturers to the actual Laserdisc makers and then, and then lots of problems with that. But one interesting thing with Laserdisc, they prevented this locked-in feature so studios couldn't force you to watch anything you didn't want to. You could immediately skip over, which you can't in a Blu-ray. Okay, let's wrap it up here. But that's the story of how Top Gun, uh, the Top Gun VHS changed the course of home video forever. So we've got Goose and Maverick to think, and hopefully that's uh, something you learned today that you could pass on at whatever point. But thanks for checking this episode out. Hopefully you enjoyed it. If you like it, subscribe. I'll be back very soon. Thanks for listening. Bye.